Welcome to the Stewardship Leader Podcast, brought to you by the Christian Stewardship Network. CSN exists to encourage, teach, and connect church and stewardship leaders to help them create and lead healthy stewardship ministries in their church. You can learn more about CSN at christianstewardshipnetwork.com. Well, hey, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Leo Sabo, and I'll be your host for today's conversation. On today's episode of Stewardship Leader, I'm joined by my friend, Paola Easton, the Stewardship Pastor and Finance Director at Birmingham City Church in Birmingham, England. No, not Birmingham, Alabama, Birmingham, England in the United Kingdom. Paola, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for taking the time to come and join me. Oh, thank you for asking. It's a real privilege to be part of this. Thank you. Great. Well, you and I met about six years ago, and it was in, of all places, Portugal, uh, which was, by the way, a very, very nice little vacation for me. Uh, it's a beautiful place. But you were there going through a generosity churches community group with Leadership Network. Is that correct? That was right. Yes. We, we didn't really know what to expect, if we were honest about it. Um, we just knew that the theme was how to um, cultivate generosity within the local church mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and when we got there it was it was quite a surprise to me because I'd been on a bit of a journey personally with God in this area and I felt like God had been quietly whispering things to my spirit that I didn't quite understand I knew he was doing something mm. and then we get to Portugal and we're introduced to this idea of stewardship and it's not something that I'd really heard of in church I certainly didn't realize that there was a ministry about stewardship. And then I meet people like yourselves and other mentor pastors that were there who were doing it for a job. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, God, I can't believe that all of these things that you've been speaking to me, that you've been asking me to do, um, is such a wider ministry area and that there are people doing this full time. And so it really caught my attention and I was really captivated by it drinking it in and everything was suddenly beginning to fall into place and make sense to me and um, the senior leader uh, pastor mark ryan who was with us at the time as well he's sort of been on the journey with me he'd had conversations with me he knew what was happening in me personally and so now he can see what was happening church-wide and the the purpose of this um, on a bigger scale within the congregation and I think he could clearly see that we needed to develop this within our church. He had no problem with that whatsoever. He was completely on board from day one, which now, having been in this ministry area for five or six years, I can see is a real blessing because many stewardship leaders don't have that with their mm-hmm. senior leaders. Yeah, that's unfortunate, but very true. Yeah, so he was on board right from the very beginning. But I felt God clearly say to me for years you have kept this hidden within you because you felt nobody understood it Hmm. now i'm giving you sort of a context the language to use the purpose behind it will you do this for me i want you to speak about it almost shout it from the rooftops Hmm. will you speak publicly about this for me 
And after those two days in Portugal, I left there with a clear call from God on my life to be in stewardship ministry. Mm. And that just shook me to the core because I had not expected it. I didn't even know it was something that existed. Mm-hmm. And then over the next sort of six months, I had to figure out what, what is this? What does it look like? What do I need to do now? That's, I remember having some of those conversations with you in Portugal, and I remember you being very introspective. You were really searching, uh, and it, it seemed like what you were going through and the things that were being discussed and the process you guys were going through during those two days was really, really impacting you. And so I just remember you making that impression that you were really thinking through, and, and I remember some of the conversations we had that it's almost like there was a, a revelation that you were receiving, and you're like, gosh, this is not new to me, but it's familiar. And it's like, yeah. finally, I, I can I can express it in a way that it makes sense even to me. So I was so, so grateful for that because I felt like you had such a, a calling to stewardship ministry. I, I sensed that right from the beginning. And our conversation really led me to believe that your church and your role there was going to be significant. And we connected with you guys, the, I'm talking about CSN, we connected with you guys a couple, maybe three, four years later when we came to the UK to do uh, a forum and an SI and all of that. I think it was 2016 that we did that. And you guys were instrumental in helping us to set that up. And I think we were at the Hillsong London, I think, but we had some some tremendous, I think, start in the UK because of you and because of Mark and your pastor and, and just the movement that, that was already happening before we even came on the scene. So very grateful that God connected us that way. Uh, you're now one of our champions with CSN and you're right. a tremendous, <laughs> tremendous value to us. And we are so grateful. Wish that the time frame was a little bit better because the hours <laughs> difference sometimes makes it hard, but, but it's just so great to, you know, we've been now to the UK, I think three years in a row. Uh, we're seeing more and more churches coming. Um, you guys have helped to really move the stewardship movement forward. So just grateful, grateful for what you're doing there. I know that it was a God thing, and I know that you're being faithful to that calling. So just to backtrack just a little bit, uh, I know you jumped right into, gosh, I was already in this, and it, it started to make sense for me in 2013, but how did you actually get into the stewardship ministry? You were already on staff as a financial director, I believe, at the time. So, so tell me about how did you get into full-time ministry, and then what did that transition look like going into actually stewardship and adding that role to your, uh, to your uh, role? <laughs> okay. So um, I had taken time out from employment to raise a family mm. and really was not looking for, um, for work, paid employment again. And an opportunity came up within our church. The person who was responsible for all the finance wanted to pass that on. And I knew that they would come knocking on my door because I had that experience. Mm -hmm. But I had a one and a half year old child at the time, as well as my son, who who was eight or nine. Um, And it just wasn't something that I wanted. And I agreed to go to a few meetings, see what was happening. And again, it God just has this way of pinpointing something in me and saying, Hey, I've got something for you to do. This is not about you needing a job to pay the bills. I've got a task for you to do. Will you do it? Mm-hmm. And so I committed to um, coming on board part-time initially to do the finances of the church. And I knew that I had a very different approach to the way I handled finance, which I now know why mm-hmm. um, I didn't at the time. And leading up to this leadership network invitation, 
God had, had issued a, a set of challenges to me because I was, I, I guess I was wrestling with the whole generosity issue and what, what it meant. And he challenged the fact that my perception of generosity was completely wrong because I considered myself very generous simply because I faithfully tithed mm. and nothing else. Mm. And so when he addressed that one, he then quickly challenged me to um, continue to faithfully tithe the way that I encourage everybody else to do and to trust him and have faith. But this is now what I want you to take it to. So his challenge was, I want you to double tithe mm. <laughs> and then give offerings and be generous on top of that. I'm going, God, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, you encourage other people to have faith and trust me. And I want you to feel like that again, because you're on autopilot. It doesn't require any effort from you to tithe. You just do it. Mm -hmm. And that's great that you faithfully, obediently do that, but I want more from you. So I wish I could just say that I was obedient straight away, but I wasn't because I guess I hoped he would change his mind. It was a lot of money, try to forget about it. And 18 months later, mm. we took the step and did it um, apprehensively, not knowing what to expect. And, you know, we've never looked back since and we've gone way above anything God ever asked us to do. But it was very significant that nine months after that step of obedience, that the invitation came to go to the leadership network. I feel that that was a real testing point for me that God was saying, will you do this? I had no idea what door would open as a result of that. Yeah. So him then giving me this big ask, will you do this for me? Will you speak to others openly about stewardship about my heart on finance about what i want for them was very significant on the back of what he'd been doing in me personally now pastor mark who was with me knew straight away that i was the person for that job i was the only one who thought that i wasn't the person for that job <laughs> um only because i guess i had my own ideas of what a leader should be like and i didn't feel that i fitted into that idea i'm not loud and brash and bubbly and extrovert and don't all leaders have to be that way and i'm not so how can god pick me to do that so i had to really wrestle with that if god's asking me to do something why would he ask me if i'm not the right person for the job Mm -hmm. So it, it was a real transition stage for me. And, you know, from some of the conversations that we had, it was obvious that God was setting me up and training me for something. Why was I so surprised when he actually gave it to me and yeah. asked me to do it? I think there's a commonality in a lot of the people who are called to full-time ministry, especially to this specific ministry. And I think that it's a healthy perspective to have to say, God, I think you're making a mistake. I think it shows that that we honor this position of serving at this level, and we know that it's not about us, and we know how ill-equipped we are when we first start out. And I think it's a good thing to keep in mind that we are just servants, and as long as we have an open and willing heart and are willing to grow ourselves and be challenged ourselves in generosity and stewardship and all the things that we're asking everyone else to do, I think that makes us qualified ongoing like we continue to be qualified for it rather than disqualify ourselves so it's a healthy healthy 
uh, perspective and attitude to have. And I'm grateful. That I know you, so I know that you looked at it from that perspective. Like this, God, this is a big deal. Do you have the right person? Are you sure you have the right person? So I totally understand those feelings. And, uh, and I, that's what I appreciate about you is that I know you serve from that perspective. And, uh, and I think everyone else around you sees that. All right. So you guys come back from Portugal from that first meeting. You come back. Mark has a full understanding that you're the right person. What's the next step? What's your vision for this ministry? Where do you start? What models do you have? Take us from there. So in coming back, um, we didn't actually announce a change of title or anything like that for probably another 18 months after, after we first started this um, journey. But we get back and I had no idea what to do mm. because I was still shell-shocked from the fact that this type of ministry existed and that God was asking me to do something. Mm. So I think in the first few weeks, I, I sent you an email actually, Leo, please help give me some resources, books, what can I read, what do I need to do? Um, and you kindly sent through so much stuff that I, I just began to read and listen, anything that I could get my hands on. Um, I, I always felt that I had deep convictions about stewardship principles, but if I was ever asked to explain them, to teach them, I, I just couldn't. And so I probably spent the first six to 12 months just self-feeding, mm. understanding what this meant. What was the weight behind it? What did I need to convey? What was God's heart on this and why was it so important? And you kindly sent me materials that Gateway were using. I think they still do. Um, and it was, okay, here's some material. I'm going to teach this class. I've never taught before. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to have a go because I've got to do something. Right. Um, I loved the material. It, it was blessing me so much. And out of that, I was able to sort of share my own heart and examples and stories that God had put within me and testimonies but you know when I look back at how I taught those first few classes I, I just cringe when I remember it because it was so raw but over the, the time that I was doing that and getting more experience people were were shocked that the finance classes the teaching was nothing like what they expected hmm. and they would ask me for more Though it was difficult to get them to come out at first, but when they did, they didn't want to stop after four weeks. They mm. wanted to continue and they really, really enjoyed it, which was quite surprising for me because I didn't expect that. But what I also didn't expect was how much I learned from them. Because another area that I struggled with was that I, I sort of dismissed myself because I've not been in that financial mess that some of these people have been in because I had a mm. really good example from my family and parents. I was sensible with my own money. I've not got into debt. Um, I've not had to struggle. I don't know what that feels like. So how on earth can I help these people? I'm obviously the wrong person. So it was just another reason to not do what God had asked me to do basically, because I felt, not good enough or ill-equipped and you know people kept saying well god will equip you to do what he's asked you to do mm -hmm. so at, at the beginning i really didn't know what i was doing i used material that already existed 
um, and I still use that material to this day. I've sort of fine-tuned it as I've gone along. The questions would come out from the, the people in the group. I started to see a pattern. So this question always happens. So I'm going to incorporate that in the material. Mm-hmm. Um, adapt it for the different types of people that we have in our congregation because we're such a diverse congregation mm. in terms of our cultures and nationalities. Um, and they all bring a different perspective and viewpoint. They've all got different hang-ups. They've all heard different messages in church. You know, I've been in church all my life and I've heard so many what I now know to be incorrect messages Mm. around finance and how we handle that. Right. So um, the first, I think the first two years really was a very, very steep learning curve. Just trying anything not being put off by the things that didn't work that I needed to adapt and just learn how to read the group and go with it, give them what they needed, be understanding, be non-judgmental, support them in what they needed from me. Um, and that has really paid dividends over the last few years because I had a few comments to me when I was still battling this issue of, Am I the right character type for a leadership role? And people would say to me, you know what? Just listening to your voice puts me at ease Mm. because you're not shouting. You're not all big and bold and loud and laughing and joking around. You settle me. And this is such a serious subject that we're talking about that Mm -hmm. people need to know that you're listening, that you care. You're not telling them that they've made a stupid mistake that you're saying, okay, let's see what we can do to make this better than it is right now. Mm -hmm. And that helped me no end to have several people independently saying to me, you're the right person to help me with this. Yeah. Um, It just took me a while to get there. Yeah. Well, I think you, you said something that I think I really want to pause on for a moment because I, I understand those feelings. I share those feelings and I think it's a healthy, as I said earlier, it's a healthy attitude that we come into this and then we maintain that attitude as we do this. The fact that it took you a couple of years, you said it was a steep learning curve, that you were not only trying to make sure that you're teaching them the right thing, but you're also still going through the journey of being stretched and, and asking, you know, allowing God to to take more and more control of this area that you thought, I've got this, I'm, I'm a generous person, I'm doing everything correctly, I've never made mistakes, and, or I've not made the mistakes that some of these people have, yet you were, you were going through a journey just like they were. You were at a different season, maybe a different step, but you were still going through the journey. And this is an important aspect, I think, that our listeners, especially those stewardship leaders that are in the trenches doing this ministry, they need to understand is that we never arrive. We're constantly being challenged in our understanding of stewardship, our level of control, uh, how much control do I have? And the more control I think I have, the more the Lord's going to say, I need you to give that up now because you're depending on it too much. You're leaning on it too much. So I think it's a it's a good thing. But you said something that's really important. As you were doing this, as you were being raw with them, as you're going through this yourself, they connected to that. They connected to your heart and to the way you were teaching, the way you were presenting the information in a way that made them feel safe. Because yeah. they, they knew you're not talking down to them. You're not, um, you're not standing in a position that, that you're saying, I'm better than you, or I never made these mistakes, and gosh, I guess you have, so I'll have to help you. You yeah. didn't have that attitude. You had this humble attitude of, guys, I'm going through this myself, and most of the time I don't understand where I'm at, but 
I'm going to keep taking one step at a time. And as I do, just join me for the journey. And I think that's such a wonderful way to, to lead this ministry because it is a very difficult topic. It's one that many people will not open up to. It can be shame. It could be regret. There's so many emotions that come along with failure and finances. It's almost like to the degree like we can believe that God will forgive us about any other sin that we commit. When we commit financial mess, mess ups, like that's unforgivable, especially when it comes to not being generous. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you for being so vulnerable to talk about that, because I think it will speak to our leaders out there who are thinking, gosh, who am I to, to be in this position? Like, why would they trust me to do this? I think the reason someone would trust you is because you are walking it out in a genuine, faithful way, and that's the only way to lead in this ministry. All right, so let's, let's move forward a little bit to your two, three years into the ministry. Where's the ministry at? Uh, what challenges are you facing? What are some of the biggest things that you have to overcome as you're be bringing this knowledge and this ministry into a cultural format where you really want the congregation to embrace it? So we, we have mainly um, three areas that we do in terms of classes that we run. So the first one is a very biblical centered class. And we've been very intentional about the way that we publicize all of our classes, because in the early days, one of the mistakes that we made was um, in our uh, excitement mm -hmm. that we're presenting a course for people to go on, we would say, hey, if you're really struggling with money and life's a mess right now, come to this class. And of course, <laughs> we've written off the majority of the congregation because nobody wants to admit to anybody else that they're in a mess. That's right. And it suddenly dawned on me one day that all of this material in the class that we're teaching is just a Bible study. And why is that only for people who are struggling? That's right. It's for everybody. That's we have good. always got something to learn from the Bible. And so we had to be very careful about the language that we use. And we said, no, this is a Bible study about what God says our heart should be like, what tithing is all about, what it means, why he asks us to do that. Um, the, the culture of generosity he wants to develop within us, how it leads us to a place of discipleship. Mm -hmm. And that was beginning to be one of the focuses. Let's talk about this ministry as being a discipleship ministry. It's not about us trying to raise tithes and offerings and get mm -hmm. a better figure on our accounts. Right. And um, once we started to talk about it in those terms, I think we started to see a shift in people being willing to come out and do that. We then started to move. I, I felt that the, the Bible study needed to be the foundation. Let's give them the why behind what we're saying. And then we will show you the how. If you can get the why, we'll give you the how so that you can now put that into practice and assess where you, where you are, where you want to be, and we'll give you that roadmap journey to try and get you to the next point. Because we can't talk about being generous if you're up to your eyeballs in debt. That's you know, right. we need to relieve that issue first. Um, and so to, to have various different courses at the same time and those then progressing through that or people who you knew were in a much more healthy financial state, we could take them through something like a journey of generosity where we just explore God's heart on that and what that's about. Maybe be a bit more open to what God wants us to do. Again, with no ask from us, being mm -hmm. very careful 
because I know how much people have been targeted in church and I mm -hmm. really want to avoid that completely. And a, a lot of people in our church, because of the makeup culturally um, from a lot of African countries, have been victims of manipulation in mm. church. Mm. And we're having to work very hard with that and say, look, we, we understand what you have been through. But that was man doing that. That yeah. wasn't God manipulating you. That was man. Right. And here is God's word. And God's word doesn't change. And we're, we're in agreement with that. So can we show you what God says? Can we contrast that with what your experience has been? And can we find a way of, yes, still honour the people back home, still honour your family and send money back home? That's a great thing that many of our Western cultures um, could do with learning from, but not to the extent that you are then manipulated. Mm -hmm. So let's look at what God says and keep bringing them back to that because that's timeless. It's very neutral across all cultures. It's not just for one set of people. And so that's one of our challenges because with over 90 nationalities within our church, they all come with a different viewpoint. They all come with different baggage and different experiences, some good, some not so good. Mm -hmm. um, so it's being sensitive to those, but also being strong enough to say, but this is God's word. Exactly. And that prompts everything. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, the common ground, the foundation is God's word. And as long as you teach from that, whatever cultural or challenges or backgrounds and experiences people have had, they can divorce themselves from that and say, yeah, that was man. That was a manipulation. That's not God's heart for me. So now I can let go of that, not be bitter, not feel manipulated, not feel like I have to do things that I don't really want to do. I can just conform to God's word. So good for you guys for sticking to what really matters, not trying to meet them where they are, but bringing them to God's word, which is the foundation that everything has to be built from. All right, so tell me where the ministry is today. What's the vision and the hope that you guys have for the future? What do you hope you're five years from now, 10 years from now? One of the areas that I've yet to tap into is teaching the young children, the youth, the students, the college, university students. Um, I understand very well now just how valuable my upbringing was in this area. Mm -hmm. And I naively thought that everybody had parents like mine right. and quickly found out that very few did. Yeah. And so I had this, I guess, unfair advantage in one sense, but with my own children having instilled in them and seeing the pressures that they go through, which are far greater now than anything that I went through mm -hmm. at their age, how important it is to set them up. And also, um, I think it's Dave Briggs has, has done a, a course where he targets um, the parents on how to teach their children about money because then it gets the parents involved. Yeah. And it's a way, I guess it's a backdoor approach to get to the, the grown-ups ultimately. Yep. But for them to, to get from such an early age, now that the pressure is so much greater in society, um, that's one real burden that I have. But part of our vision and goals for our church is that we're committed to seeing people through a process of getting them debt free. Mm -hmm. So if you will stay with us and work with us and go through our courses, um, you know, and have some 
one-on-one -on -one sessions or accountability mentoring that we are committed to helping you get through a debt-free process mm -hmm. in about three years and we're in the very early stages of that but we're very serious about this debt-free model I've been very open about my position on debt, but at the same time, making sure that I convey to people, this was something that God really placed on my heart that I must never borrow money, full stop. It's not a, a rule in the Bible. I'm not saying you've got to do it. All I can say are the benefits that come with that. But in order to do that, you've got to set your lifestyle up differently. Mm -hmm. And this was another area where we felt we needed to model it as church. And we still had some historical debt within our church on the property. And so we decided to set up a campaign to clear this debt. Mm -hmm. um, and we told the congregation about it. And we went from having about £200,000 worth of debt in October of 2018 to April of this year, six months, seven months later, paying that off completely. Wow. And so we could say, as a church, we are debt-free. So we have practiced what we are asking you to do. Mm -hmm. So now come with us on this journey. Awesome. We've done it. We want you to do it too. So we're sort of in the early throes of that, but that's where we're heading and to really focus on that in the next few years. Oh, I love it. I love I love the intensity with which you guys are approaching this, but I love more the fact that you're modeling it and now you're saying, come along with us on this journey, because if you were to do the other, which is to say, get out of debt, get out of debt, so you can give more, but yet you guys still have debt, that that message would not work. So good for you for, for saying, hey, if we're going to say this, then we need to live it. And I'm just excited that your church doesn't have debt. That's awesome. Most churches cannot say that. So good for you guys. All right. So as we're wrapping up a little bit here, what would you say to a church leader that's listening to the podcast? You've had the privilege, Paula, of uh, having Mark who understood this, understood the importance of generosity and, and finances in the life of the believer. But what would you say to a church leader, maybe even a stewardship leader, that... Uh, maybe doesn't quite understand it. They're not sure how they can convince their senior pastor about this. How would you encourage them to proceed going forward? I think the first thing I would say is to not ignore the money issue in church mm. because we all shy away from it. We don't want to talk about it. And we certainly found it in the early stages that as we began to drip feed little comments or show a video people were getting very skeptical and what's going on here and mm -hmm. we'll just wait for this phase to pass and then they won't talk about it anymore and it's it was incredible to see how it agitated people mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes they didn't know why it agitated them but in six years of running classes and and hearing what people's frustrations and struggles and stress points are this exists right across the board in all of our churches right. and with some of the most unlikely people hmm. you know they may look all together on the outside and yet they are absolutely in financial ruin on the inside right. so don't ignore this money issue because it's eating away at our congregation i said a little bit earlier about us um, promoting it as a discipleship issue and it's one of those things that in church we will run courses we will teach on every single subject 
because we want our congregation members to be healthy spiritually, but we avoid this one. Mm. And this is one that is spoken about the most in scripture. And that just doesn't make any sense. We wouldn't say don't talk about prayer. We wouldn't say don't talk about a marriage ministry or parenting or or any other issue. Mm -hmm. But this is the one that we're scared of. And often it's because the senior leader doesn't know what to do. I've helped churches in the past with their financial accounts and have been horrified at some of the things that the senior leaders have said to me about their stance on money or, you know, God told me to take out all of this debt. And I'm going, excuse me? (laughs) that's not the god i know right Um, and so i can understand them not wanting to talk about it if they don't understand it themselves if they've if they've not been shown how to navigate this personally Mm -hmm. so don't ignore it it's a very real issue um if you can see it as a discipleship issue that is going to make your congregation members more healthy Mm -hmm. it will produce fruit in their life spiritually which then makes your churches more healthy why would you say no to that it's not an easy thing to do but essentially that's what this ministry does it underpins so many other ministries it's like a foundation to everything you want a healthy congregation invest in this area yeah well said well said all right so last question what would you say to someone who has a passion for stewardship now remember when you were back in 2013 and you felt this bubbling up, what would you say to somebody that's feeling that or is about to enter that phase? How would you encourage them um, about what the next step would be for them? So immerse yourself, read material, listen to messages, listen to podcasts. And, you know, it's, it's great that now I have access to something like CSN, because when we first started, I felt so on my own. What do I do? you and a few others were my only contacts of people that I could talk to. And what is so great now is that because CSN has brought the impact workshop over to the UK, we have started to see people like myself springing up in churches around the UK. And we've sort of got our own, we don't call it CSN, but we've got our own little network of people in the UK now, which is fantastic because I I didn't have that when I started, but now I can be the Leo to somebody else and, and, and pass it on what I've learned on my journey because you passed it on to me and somebody passed it on to you. And so that's the beauty of a network of stewardship leaders. So in 2013, I started, but it was 2016 when I first came out to Dallas and attended the SI workshop and then the forum. The SI workshop just completely revolutionized everything for me. Mm. I still have the original workbook with all my notes and I've sat through probably seven or eight of these workshops now and I keep adding to the notes every single time. Mm -hmm. So you can barely see the original print because I have so much in there. I keep learning something new every single time. And even just last month, um, Chris, what the, the chairman of CSM was in the UK and asked me, Um, and somebody else to teach the workshop with him. And I'm still learning while I'm teaching it. It's just incredible. Mm. So if you haven't gone on the SI workshop, you need to. And if you can encourage a senior leader or leadership people in your church to go with you, that really gives you the context, the why, how we then do it, the, the growth that you're going to see and health in your congregation because of it. That's just 
really invaluable. The language that you need to use to be able to have those conversations. When we first started the eldership team that we had at the time, we're very resistant to it. Mm-hmm. And it just felt like we were banging our heads against a brick wall. And I guess it was just time. Maybe they were thinking, yes, this is a phase. It too will pass. And it didn't. And we now have a completely different eldership team who are completely on board with it. Mm-hmm. And it, is, it has become part of our culture now. So anybody new coming on board knows what we stand for churches around us know what we stand for oh you're the stewardship church you're the one that does this ministry but it's taken a lot of hard work and perseverance to get there and to do that no doubt Uh, i remember just briefly having conversations with you and the journey you were on and every time you connected with csn through the forum and you attended several of the forums over the last few years and it was it was hard going at the beginning you know it really was i i remember your coming and saying, gosh, they just don't get it. They don't, they don't see it. They don't, their eyes aren't open yet. And, and I remember just saying, you know, just be faithful with you got, because it will eventually get there. And that's what I want to say to our listeners, no matter where you are in this process or in this journey of stewardship, whether it's a personal journey or one where you've already reached out to your church and said, Hey, this is important. Uh, we should do something. We should talk about this. This should be something that we engage in. Don't give up. God has a way of orchestrating things that we have no control over. And that's a good thing, because if it was all dependent on us, we wouldn't get much done. But when we're faithful with our part, God comes along, and the next thing you know, he'll move somebody out of the way, he'll change somebody's mind, he'll orchestrate the team, he'll bring other people that have the same vision, same passion, same desires you have, and before you know it, you're doing ministry at a level that you never thought possible. But it is, I believe, a move of God that's happening in our generation, because money is such a big deal in this generation, more than any other, I would say, in the past. Money, wealth, the meaning of it, everything is so, so central to everything that we do that if we don't address it as a church, we're leaving basically the biggest topic off the table and saying to people, figure everything else out on your own. We're only going to teach you these you know, these faith things and, and family things. But when it comes to money, even though it touches every other area of your life, we have nothing to say about that. And it's unfortunate that churches take that stance, but... What you shared, what we know, is that this is something that God is moving in. And I believe that as, as pastors practice courage, they really, that's what it is. They need to just practice courage to say, I don't have it all together. I don't know where to go from here, but I know I have to do something. And I think when they take that step, they'll be surprised at how God will bring the right people. And here's what I want to say to a senior leader. This is not a ministry that you need to do on your own. In fact, your role is to preach from the pulpit, to inspire, to motivate, and to move people, to, to to impart that burden for them to do something about this area. It's up to your stewardship leaders, your volunteers, your stewardship pastor eventually to take and allow the teaching and the equipping and the discipleship to happen. So you're yes, you're you have to spearhead it. You have to, to be the one that's moving it forward, but most of the work is not done by you. So relax. It's okay. You're going to have volunteers that just would love to do what you want them to do. All you'll have to do is just spur them on, and and it's going to be an amazing thing. Well, Paula, it's been such a pleasure um, to kind of revisit this journey that you guys have had at Birmingham City Church and yours individually. I'm just so grateful for you because I do believe, in fact, I know here at CSN, we see BCC, your church, as being the model 
for stewardship in the UK. And we depend on that because we feel like you guys have done such a tremendous job of modeling it and then passing it on. And I know you do that all the time because it is something that's oozing out of you as it does out of me. So it's not something we can help, <laughs> but I am grateful for you. I'm grateful that, um, that you are part of CSN and I'm grateful that you're also developing and having a network in the UK. I think that's something that has to happen in every area. And it's really CSN's vision is that we would have groups of stewardship leaders in every state, in every country, in every region, so that they continue to improve and to get better at teaching on this topic that's so, so vital, so important. So thank you. Thank you for taking the time to be with, uh, with us today. Hopefully we'll see you at the CSN forum. I'm not going to put you on the spot and ask you right here whether you're going to come or not, but you know that I want you to. And for those of you that are listening, if you have not attended a CSN forum or the stewardship impact that Paula had mentioned, this is a starting point. If you go to this, it will literally transform everything else you're trying to do. It will give you foundation, language, everything you need to get started. So please join us for the CSN forum in March. It's March 2nd through the 4th in Louisville, Kentucky. And we'd love to have you there. You can find out more about that at christianstewardshipnetwork.com. And Paula, thanks again. We so appreciate you being here today. Thanks for having me, Leo. It's a real privilege. Thank you. And I want to thank you for joining us for the Stewardship Leader podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please share it. You can share it with a stewardship leader or perhaps with an executive or senior leader of the church that you attend. If you want to know more about CSN and how we can help you to grow in your own stewardship journey, connect with us. We're on all social media channels, and we'd love to know you and be a resource to you. You could also connect through our website, christianstewardshipnetwork.com, where you can find more content and resources. Until next time, remember, God has called you to be the best steward you can be. So be that faithful steward, but don't stop there. Teach others to do the same. <laughs>